uh, some guidance on what to do if we don't want to be people who distance ourselves from Jesus and his word. As Christoph said, we're in the second of these uh, Pass It On uh, talks, looking at the letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, a spokesman of Jesus, as he was awaiting uh, death in a prison cell in Rome. And it was written to a young pastor, a man called Timothy. Uh, Timothy had been Paul's faithful co-worker, uh, a colleague, for many years. But have a look at verse 8. Uh, we get here the heart of uh, what Paul is writing about to Timothy. Uh, we're on page 1195 in the Pew Bibles. Paul says to Timothy, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Paul's telling Timothy not to distance himself from Jesus or from Paul. Now that should be a bit of a surprise uh, to us. Uh, because we read of Timothy elsewhere in the Bible that he is this loyal companion for Paul. Paul says that he's proved himself at time and time again. Uh, like a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. So Timothy is not the kind of guy who just flakes out on Paul uh, easily. So why is Paul writing to Timothy to tell him to not be ashamed? Well, I think it's because people everywhere always have a tendency to distance themselves from Jesus and the gospel. Uh, we know that ourselves, I suspect. Uh, and I know I've often done that among my friends uh, back in London, for example. But perhaps it's particularly embarrassing to be associated with the gospel, to be known as a gospel person in Ulster today. Um, last week, Richard was introducing us to, to Timothy, and he was pointing out um, that the gospel and words like evangelism or mission are increasingly seen as being part of old Ulster. Uh, the gospel's labelled as divisive uh, or intolerant. It's mocked for being backward and idiotic. And to be fair, we can maybe understand where some of those impressions have come from. And we think, well, we don't want to be associated with that. But then we find it all too easy to slip into the distancing thing. It's hard to know how to be a committed, unashamed gospel person in Ulster today. Um, well, that was dangerous uh, in, in Paul's time. As Paul uh, picked up his pen in his prison cell in Rome, he was worried uh, about a kind of a, a, a lukewarm Christianity uh, that would die out in a few generations as people failed to uh, pass on the gospel. And that's the danger here, too, for us in our generation. Uh, danger that we just commit ourselves to a fairly shallow, lukewarm Christianity that is a little bit ashamed of publicly uh, identifying ourselves with Jesus. Um, but Paul wants to help with that. He wants Timothy uh, to be encouraged to commit himself to Jesus and to Paul. Uh, and he wants to help us with that this evening. Um, so what should we do if we don't want to be ashamed? Well, the rest of the passage this evening will help us with that. We get three uh, things that we should do if we don't want to be ashamed. Uh, first, we should remember our spiritual heritage. Uh, this is verses 3 to 7. And almost the first thing that Paul does is he reminds Timothy of his spiritual heritage. Have a look at verse 5 with me. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because it's not just something random that's just popped up. Actually, it's what his grandmother and his mother believed. Um, but there's actually something deeper even than that going on. Faith is described as living there in verse 5. 
Um, and then in verse 6, Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. What is this gift? What's this thing that's living in uh, Lois and Eunice and in Timothy? Well, verse 7 explains. Paul says, For, because God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I think Paul's referring to the Holy Spirit here, God himself. And so the faith that was dwelling in Timothy's family is due to the presence of God's Spirit. And so Timothy, as he looks back at the heritage of his family tree, he's looking back at the work of God in his family. He's got a spiritual heritage. And that same Spirit is now in Timothy too. And so Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame this gift of God. Don't be ashamed of testifying about Jesus. Uh, Last summer, when Emma and I moved across uh, to uh, Belfast from London, uh, one of the first things we did was go to Camp Kirkpatrick. Uh, Some of you I know were there. Um, We had a couple of days of lovely camping in the Mourns. And one of the things that I can remember was every evening, we'd all sit around the campfire uh, chatting away. Um, And then I'd sort of go, well, we'd all go to bed, and I would tend to get up quite late, and I'd be surprised to discover when I came out that the kids were still playing around the same bonfire. Uh, What had been happening is people had obviously nursed that fire back to health. Uh, You can imagine the effort it took, uh, sort of getting those glowing embers to restart and something to arise out of the ashes. And Paul wants Timothy to do something similar. He wants him to nurse this flame uh, back uh, into, into action. And we need to do something similar. Many of us feel weak. Uh, we maybe feel like we don't have very much to share with a, a, a non-Christian or, or a younger Christian. Uh, we may not even be very confident of our own faith. Um, we may have listened to us, me talking about how we tend to distance ourselves from Jesus and thought, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's me. Well, if we don't want to be ashamed, uh, why not start by looking at our spiritual heritage? Sometimes we can find that a bit easier. Uh, Many of us will be uh, fortunate enough to come from great spiritual heritages. Uh, We can look back at the work of God in our families. And personally, I can look back at my mum and dad's faith. And I'm convinced that that was God working in them. And following the logic of this passage, Paul says, well, if I can recognise that God's spirit is working in my parents, I ought to be able to recognise that that same spirit is now working in me. Why wouldn't I recognise that? And how about as a society? Uh, Ireland has got a great spiritual heritage. Uh, There'll always be things in the past that we won't sit very comfortably with. But surely we we would recognize that God has been at work in this country. And so why wouldn't we recognize that he's at work in us today? We may feel like we're damp, sodden wood. Uh, We may feel timid. But Paul says, remember our spiritual heritage. Remember that God's spirit is at work in us. And so don't be ashamed of the gospel. Encourage that flame. Remember that God's spirit is within you. It's like petrol on a bonfire. As you fan it into flame, God's spirit will awaken you and he'll empower you. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Let's move on to the second thing uh, we should do if we don't want to distance ourselves from Jesus. Uh, And that is in verse 13. Uh, Jump down with me there. Uh, Paul says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. If we don't want to be ashamed of the gospel, 
Uh, we're going to have to keep it uh, and guard it and preserve the pattern of sound teaching. Uh, but there's something in that word sound that's actually meant to encourage us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Now, when I think of sound, I don't know about you, but I tend to think of something that's pretty boring, that's dry. But the word sound actually could also be translated healthy or life-giving. And so when Paul says that the gospel is sound teaching, he's saying it's healthy teaching. It's life-giving. And why would we be ashamed of something that's life-giving? Well, how is the gospel healthy? Well, to see that, we need to go back up to verse, uh, verses 9 and 10, and we'll work our way through those. So verse 9. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The gospel doesn't tell us to do something to earn eternal life. It's not because of anything that we have done. And that's really good news, isn't it? Because if it did, it wouldn't have been able to give us life. If it depended on us, we wouldn't be able to get life. But thank God that his gift of salvation is really a gift. He heals us, body and soul, by his own grace. Well, in the next part of the statement, Paul goes on to show us how this salvation has come about. Uh, So join me again in verse 9. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's amazing, isn't it? The Father and the Son, before the beginning of time, deciding to give us grace in Jesus. We were in God's mind before the beginning of time. Uh, But it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we saw a second ago that the gospel is a gift. It's a gift of salvation, of healing. Uh, And now Paul says that it's a gift that comes through Jesus, the one who's come into human history and destroyed death in his death on the cross and his resurrection. And he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Those are healthy words, aren't they? Those are words that can give life. As I was writing uh, these notes up on Friday morning, we were actually preparing for the funeral of Jean that we were hearing about this morning. And I was reminded that death is the most destructive thing we know. Often we talk about how we will remember people in our memories and people will live on in our memories. But sadly we know that that's not true. Death even takes that away. It was actually a sunny day on Friday. And and coming out of that funeral, I was really conscious of the sunlight as I stepped out of the church building here. And it struck me that that's a bit of a similarity uh, with Uh, what's going on with death and resurrection. Death is something dark. It's something that doesn't belong. But one day, under the reign of Jesus, there will only ever be light. And that's what makes the gospel such a healthy word. It's the word of death being destroyed, of life forever, and the gift of eternal life through God's own purpose and grace. It's a bit like medicine, isn't it? It's healthy. It gives life. It's the medicine that our sick and dying world needs to hear. And so Paul says, don't be ashamed. Why would you be? It's a strange doctor, isn't it, who would be ashamed of medicine. Uh, Could you imagine going into the Ulster and finding that all the doctors were sort of chucking away the pills and the bottles one by one? And you'd ask them why, and they'd say, well, 
we just, we're fed up with this. Um, we don't want it. It heals people. We want to move on to something different now. You'd think that was pretty odd, wouldn't you? Even if they said, you know, government cutbacks, we're just getting rid of the medicine. you think, what are you doing? Doctors, don't get rid of the medicine. Or in the same way, it's a strange Christian who chucks out the gospel. Um, so let's not go chucking it out in search of something new. Keep the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Okay, so far, Paul's mainly been helping us to not be ashamed of the gospel by giving us some motivations, telling us uh, why we can not be ashamed. But now he wants to show us what it's going to mean in practice to not be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, This is our third point, pass on the gospel by God's power. Um, Firstly, have a look at verse 15. Um, Paul gives a negative example here of what it would look like to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me including Phygelus and Hermogenes. So these guys have literally distanced themselves from Paul. They're ashamed of his gospel, uh, and so they've left him. Then he gives a positive example, verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Anisiphorus wasn't ashamed of Paul. Uh, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And so he was active. He searched hard, high and low, through Rome, in all the little alleys, until he found Paul's cell and was able to help him out. Anisiphorus was active. And if Timothy is not ashamed of the gospel, he's going to have to do something active too. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. If Timothy is not ashamed of the gospel, what he should do is be strong in God's grace. Remember that wonderful, healthy gospel and then pass it on to others. Pass it on to the next generation. He needs to actively promote the gospel. He can't just sit tight. He needs to pass it on. And so this is the aim of gospel leadership. And that's what we've called this talk this evening. We've said the aim of gospel leadership, and this is it. It's to pass on the gospel to the next generation and to make sure that that generation will pass on the gospel. And so that's why we've called the whole series Pass It On. Um, I don't know if you watched the Winter Olympics opening ceremony on TV the other night, um, but could you imagine being one of the people who was carrying that torch? You'd be pretty keen, wouldn't you, to make sure that you passed on the torch smoothly to the next person and you didn't let it go out or drop. And as Paul is facing death, he's wanting to make sure that Timothy knows that that is Timothy's job, to make sure that he passes on the torch to the next generation, that he won't let the flame die out, that the the next generation won't drop it, but to pass it on. And it's important that we see here that the aim here is not just preservation, it's not just keeping something going, but actually transformation of spreading the gospel far and wide. Um, If we do some maths, we can see why this is. Um, There's actually four generations that get mentioned in uh, 2 verse 2. So have a look there. You've got Paul, first of all, what you've heard from me uh, in the presence of many witnesses, Uh, then Timothy, who needs to entrust it to the third generation, reliable men or reliable people. Um, And then what are they meant to do? They are meant to then teach others, fourth generation, four generations of gospel 
leadership. Um, and if my maths is right, by those four people, well, so let's take a little hypothetical example. Imagine that Timothy invests um, himself in four people. Uh, he's going to entrust the gospel to those four people uh, with the hope that those four people will then pass it on to the next generation, another four people. Okay, can you imagine that? Four, and then it's kind of coming up. Well, if my maths is right, by the time you've had another four generations, there's now 256 people who are all looking to pass on the gospel to the next generation, another four people. And then if you do another four generations after that, uh, you get 65,000 people who are all looking to pass it on to the next generation. That, that will have appealed, I think, to some of the room and not others. That's fine. But hopefully you can see the point. This is not just a strategy for keeping some kind of flame alive. It's a strategy for bringing the healthy, life-giving words of the gospel to as many people as possible. Um, and this is actually what each generation of gospel leaders following Timothy are called to do. Last week, Richard raised the question, how can Christianity survive in Ulster today? Well, it's not by turning back the clock. Uh, it's not by drawing in the circle of true believers even tighter. Uh, it's not by a variety of new methods to just gr- bring a massive crowd along. It's this patient, slow work of passing on the gospel to the next generation, individual by individual. If you think about it, that shouldn't be that much of a surprise, actually. Think of what Jesus did when he wanted to make sure uh, that he could pass on his teachings. What did he do? He devoted himself to 12 young men, particularly to three of them, Peter, James, John. He invested himself in those guys and made sure that they would be able to pass on the gospel. And that's what happened, isn't it? After he died, after Jesus commissioned the disciples, they went across the Mediterranean. They gave their lives to pass on the gospel. Um, Primarily, this verse is talking about um, how leadership functions within a church. Uh, And so this is something that the elders here at Kirkpatrick are trying to do. Uh, As you know, they're taking one Sunday a month to be trained for their role of passing on the gospel uh, to the rest of us. But the New Testament is clear that while we're not all called to be church leaders or theologians or great preachers, uh, it is normal for all Christians to be involved in passing on the gospel to others. Um, As a staff team at the moment, we're reading a book called uh, The Trellis and the Vine, and the authors of that book go through a load of New Testament evidence for this, um, and they summarize what the New Testament says like this. Simply by being a disciple of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit of the New Covenant, all Christians have the privilege, joy, and responsibility of being involved in the work that God is doing in our world, the work of the Lord. And the fundamental way we do this is through speaking the truth of God to other people in dependence on the Holy Spirit. I probably want to nuance all Christians a little bit to say it's normal for Christians to be doing that. But I think that captures what the New Testament says. And so if you think about it, all of us will fit into that chain of passing on the gospel to the next generation. Because what the elders uh, should be doing, if they're doing this right, is they should be coming to us and passing on the gospel to us in such a way that then we'll want to pass on the gospel to others. And so in a healthy church, according to the New Testament, most of us will be in some kind of learning relationship from older generations, people who are more mature in the gospel than us. 
and we'll also be passing it on to those around us. So you could say we're all doctors. Some of us are consultants, some of us are trainees, that's fine. But all of us have got the medicine. All of us are able to bring healing um, with the healthy word of the gospel and with the power of the Holy Spirit. So what would this look like uh, in our church in Kirkpatrick? Well, here's Janice. Uh, She's an older mum who's learning from the preaching on Sundays. Uh, But then she meets up with Nicola, a younger mum, to help Nicola to get her head around being a Christian parent. They're talking about how to discipline your children in a godly way and that kind of thing. Uh, Meanwhile, Nicola herself is meeting up every week or two for a coffee and a chat with her friend um, Carol. And Carol is interested in finding out a little bit about the gospel. They've had a few chats here and there. And so they're taking a bit of a chance to read through Mark's gospel and to find out uh, what that says. Um, Then there's uh, Louise. Louise is a grandma, but she actually takes the time to see her granddaughters every couple of weeks. And they don't just chat about how school is going and that kind of thing. They also chat a little bit. Uh, about what it was like uh, for Louise when she was growing up and how she first came to be be a believer and how some of that's gone on through her life. And also a little bit about what her granddaughters uh, are finding out about Jesus. And then there's Brian. Brian has been in a discipleship group for a few years now and he loves getting the encouragement from the other Christians in his discipleship group. Uh, But he's noticed that James in his discipleship group is a little bit less confident about talking about these kinds of things. And so they meet up Um, every week or so, uh, just for a couple of months, uh, to to go through uh, a little bit of the Bible and to try and get a bit more confident uh, in that. Well, this is something like the kind of passing on culture uh, that Paul is saying that a church uh, needs to have if the gospel is going to survive and thrive, if people are going to hear the healthy, life-giving words of the gospel. What you heard me say Entrust to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. This is what gospel leadership aims to achieve, a passing it on culture. Um, This morning, actually, I had the privilege of being part of a little bit of that. Um, I met with four people uh, from the church family here uh, to chat about mentoring four of the older young people in the church, just meeting up regularly over a few weeks to chat about life and faith. Um, The young people will be able to ask their questions Uh, They'll look at a little bit of the Bible together. I think that's going to be brilliant, don't you think? To give those young people an opportunity to discuss and and chat and learn from uh, some of those older Christians. I don't think, though, that the the, uh, Christians who are involved would mind me saying that they're not spiritual ninjas. They're not like superstars. Uh, They're just normal Christians who are keen to share what they've been learning. Well, wouldn't you love to see something like that happen all across the church? Now, there's plenty that stops us doing that, uh, but I hope that the rest of 2 Timothy will be helping us with some of those things. But before we finish, we've seen two big building blocks that will help us to do this if we want to. First, if Jesus really has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light, if the gospel really is healthy, life-giving words, then it has to be worth it, doesn't it? Even if it's costly to do this, even if it's a change of of mindset, even if it means we give up time, it has to be worth doing this. And second, if we have God's spirit, then we'll be able to pass it on, even if we feel timid. All the way through this chapter, Paul's been emphasizing God's power. He hasn't talked about Timothy's power at all. 
It's God's power. Uh, 2 verse 1 was picking this up. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So back to verse 8. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you have made your grace known to us through Jesus. Thank you that he did destroy death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. We thank you that we've all heard those healthy, life-giving words this evening and many times before. And Father, we ask that we would be faithful with them. We ask that we'd be a church that entrusts them to the next generation. We ask that we'd be a church uh, where we are passing on the gospel and equipping others to do that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.